Good morning, good afternoon, whatever time of day it is that you are listening, folks. Thank you very, very much for listening. The date today is the 18th of October, year of our Lord, 2020. By the time you're listening to this, it might be the 19th, could be the 20th, could be 2021. If you're, like, just doing a rewind, hey, what was Nick up to around October of 2020 after the NBA season ended? Well, this is what I was up to this episode. Thank you very, very much for tuning in to another episode of Shoot the J. Um, today, I was writing an article. And I've, I've kind of had it in the back of my mind for a few days now, um, ever since the Lakers won the championship, which is, I don't know, I, time is a flat, I don't know how many days ago it was. It was last week at some point um, that the Lakers win their 17th, LeBron wins his fourth, and ultimately the gamble that was the AD trade, if you want to call it a gamble, just in terms of how much they gave up, because that was always the rhetoric surrounding it. Um, it paid off in the way that everybody thought that it inevitably would at some point, but in year one, obviously... L.A. got the absolute best result possible. I've been thinking about this a lot, um, and I was kind of talking to some of you guys about this. I don't know if those of you who have been playing Among Us with me, if you guys listen to this podcast, but I kind of mentioned a little bit that I had an idea that I was kind of cooking, and I, I didn't know if I was going to do an article or a podcast. Um, by the time that most of you listen to this, the article is going to be up. It's going to go up the morning of Monday, the 19th. Um, so um, if you have read the article and you're coming to this to listen – you're going to kind of know a lot of what I'm about to say. If you haven't read the article because it's not out or you just haven't read it, um, congratulations. I just kind of wanted to talk about it a little bit more and expand on it. Um, the idea that the Lakers might have sort of just shifted the landscape of basketball um, back to its original state, like where it was sort of 10 years ago as we headed into this revolution, um, which we're going to get into here in just a minute. Um, and obviously I think, I should get this out of the way too. I guess I'm just gonna try to do this episode in sort of the same, same order that I that I wrote the article. Um, obviously, one of the biggest things with LA winning the title was teams really couldn't match their size, and it was the same throughout the regular season where their height was their biggest thing. Like it, whether it was Dwight, whether it was Javale, whether it was LeBron, whether it was AD. It's weird to lead with Javale and Dwight, but I did it there. And sometimes even Kuzma, who was never exactly a reliable defender in the way that LeBron age or any of the other four players can be, but in terms of size, we'll throw them out there. Um, I just, it, you look at all these teams in the playoffs specifically, who is Portland going to throw at him? I don't like Nurkic looked really good offensively. It was really fun to see a healthy use of Nurkic, but at the end of the day, there was only so much he was going to be able to do against LeBron and AD in closing minutes. So you go to the Houston series I mean, you have P.J. Tucker if he's having a good game or, you know, sometimes like maybe Robert Covington. But other than that, we kind of knew what was going to happen in that series. And even though Houston did win game one, as did Portland, by the way. So you go to the Nuggets series. And it was like, what is going to happen with Jokic and Anthony Davis? What's going to someone's going to bully somebody. And that never really happened. There were a few possessions in game, I want to say, two. Um, it might have been game one, I don't recall, but I think it was game two. Where Jokic had AD on the right block, and they kept giving Jokic his right shoulder for those turnarounds. Or maybe it was his left. I'm, I'm blanking because I remember the camera angle I was watching was really confusing me. And he was able to really easily draw contact from Anthony Davis. And it was like, because... Anthony Davis and Jokic are just total opposites, polar opposites. 
the defensive matchup for each of them was really interesting to watch. Like, it, you couldn't really predict what the other one was going to do because it was like, oh, wait, oh, wait. It was just, it was, it was fun. It was really fun, but ultimately, you know, Jokic can have a great game, which he did for the entirety of five games, but who else was there? That was the question going into this. Are you going to put Paul Millsap on LeBron? There's no way. And they were never really able to figure that out. You know, LeBron was checking Jamal Murray in game, what, four and five um, intermittently throughout the game. I think to close four, LeBron was like, I want to take Jamal Murray for these last, like, three minutes. Then you go to the Miami series, and, you know, Bam was in and out for games two through four. Well, wait, no. Wait, 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 no, no, no. I have the timeline wrong. Bam goes out in, like, halfway through game one, misses two, misses three. So I guess technically I'm right. It was two through four. Comes back. But, like, rest assured, Anthony Davis, especially for those first two games, the first game where he goes 15-20 from the field. And, again, I know, I know Bam wasn't playing, but it didn't matter. Like, sure, Jimmy can take LeBron, but even Bam wasn't going to be able to defend Anthony Davis. A healthy Bam Adebayo was not going to be able to contain Anthony Davis in this series. It just wasn't going to happen. And the way that Jimmy, the, the, the energy that Jimmy Butler had to exert to even keep Miami in it for six, especially in that game, I'm totally blanking. What game was that? Obviously, it had to be five because it was what kept Miami in the series. The one where Jimmy's, you know, hunched over behind the basket at the end of the game. Probably the best, like, one-on-one, and I said this in an episode already, I know. The best, like, one-on-one performance that we've maybe ever seen um, in an NBA Finals game. Like, the each team's best player just giving that opposite player their best shot every trip down the floor. And I think that what I said, the analogy that I used in an episode when I already talked about this, was it kind of felt like an all-star game where everyone had the presence of mind to sort of get out of the way. Like, move aside. The Titans are going at each other. It was masterful. Jimmy Butler, it wasn't sustainable. So now, as we, we begin this offseason, we're starting to hear, you know, the Warriors and the, and the Clippers and even the Rockets wanting to get Joel Embiid. All these teams, mainly in the Western Conference so far, are looking to add height. They want these versatile big men because size is what's going to combat this Lakers team. Along with that comes with Daryl Morey and the Houston Rockets amicably parting ways just a few days ago. He's no longer the GM um, after, what, I think 13 years, which breaks my heart. I feel like if you listen to this regularly, you know how upset I was about that. I get it. Tillman Fertitta's terrible. He's like Robert Sarver 2.0. So I'm not mad at anybody. Well, I guess I'm mad at Tillman Fertitta. It just, it, well, it makes me really sad that like the last thing that people are going to remember about Daryl Morey is the Russell Westbrook trade, which was probably the worst thing that he did in his tenure, and then uh, the China stuff. So that kind of sucks, which is another reason why Tillman Fertitta sucks. So the reason I bring him up is because uh, with his exit, a lot of people hypothesize that it could be the end of small ball as we know it and playing two analytics could sort of go out the window a little bit. I think the former could be true. I don't think the latter is true. Um, But even with the small ball thing, this idea that it doesn't work is inherently flawed. I don't know why people always... It's the same question with Daryl Morey all the time. You talk about the Rockets. Can small ball work? What do you mean, can it work? They won 65 basketball games in 2018 and were a pulled hamstring by Chris Paul and not missing 27 consecutive threes in a row in the Western Conference Finals 
to the Golden State Warriors from going to the NBA Finals. I don't against against a Cleveland Cavaliers team that, by the way, wasn't very good at all. This is the year that J.R. Smith has his forgetting the shot clock and or, well the game situation, not the shot clock, the game clock and the situation. It's that Cavs team where Kyle Korver shoots like one of eleven for the series. Right? And obviously things are completely different if it's that Rockets team versus that Cavs team. But you have a shot. Like, that wasn't the East's best team. It was the East's best player and the league's best player, the world's best player, and the sport's best player. Period. That's it. But the Rockets were a better team. They won 65 games. It wasn't an accident. This live by the three, die by the three, the Rockets... For the better part of even that seven-game series, lived by it. And for 65 games in that regular season, lived by it. But in one game, they died by it. And ultimately, that's the flaw with the system. Is when you play to these these um, advantages, these statistical advantages that you see. Or disadvantages, depending on how you look at it. Sometimes you just forget to account for the fact that... Uh... We could theoretically miss all of these threes. We could take 44 threes in a game and make seven of them. That could happen. But as long as you have the right assets, it's not going to. You surround your system with the players that it needs and that it can thrive, Those that the players can thrive in. It's not going to happen. Unfortunately, it did. So I, I just don't think it's going to really go away, but there's a chance that it could because of what the Lakers have. At least for the time being, we could start to see the league revert back to this not necessarily traditional sense of basketball where there's any sense. Like, I don't think Andre Drummond all of the sudden has a place in the league again, and we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, because I think that even – because I think teams are still going to play positionless basketball. Let's just – that's, you know, like that's where the sport is right now, where when someone's like, well, what position does he play? And I'm like, I, I think they're dumb. I just think they're dumb. Like, I don't know. One day in, like, 20 years, we're just going to be like, oh, he's a basketball player, and that's it. Like, can you play all positions or not? I just feel like that's where the league is going right now. We're not quite there yet. But a guy like – it's hard to say a guy like LeBron because, I mean, not everybody's him. But, like, Luka can play multiple positions. Ben Simmons can play multiple positions. Like, that's just where we're going. I could even say that Russell Westbrook can play multiple positions. Anthony Davis, you get what I'm saying. Jan, I don't want to keep listing players. You know, so as we start to see the league um, make this transition and kind of maybe steer off into this other direction where all these teams are going to load up with these really big players, because that's just kind of, you know, it's not like there's a, there's a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A lack of, like, there's a surplus of them, right? There's not a scarcity. Maybe that's what I was looking for. There's an abundance of players with significant height coming into the league. Like, guards are getting bigger. Killing Hayes is like 6'6". Six, six. Lamelo Ball is like 6'8". These are point guards coming into the league, and they're like small forwards 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Like, that's just athletes get stronger. They're more physically um, dominant than they were 30 years ago, and they're bigger. So that's where we're going. I just wonder, and this is what my article was, if this at any in any way influences who the Pistons pick at seven, or if obviously they, you know, turn their money into more money and acquire more picks. But for all intents and purposes, because I don't really entertain that, um, let's just say they pick at seven. I think Okongawu is probably the move. It would be nice if he was like an inch or two taller. He was only a freshman this year, I believe, at USC. I could be wrong. Pretty sure he was only a freshman at USC. So, like, maybe there's some room for him to grow, like, another inch or two? Because right now he's 6'9". 
which is great. And he's an amazing rim protector. I would go as far as to say that if Okongawa was drafted by the Pistons, he might become, like, he might just day one be their best defender. Not necessarily on ball, because I, I do still think that's Bruce. That's Bruce. But in terms of, like, guarding the post and at the rim, I, it's probably Okongawa, right? And I don't know how much dispute there would be on that. Like, day one, I genuinely believe that. It's the consensus that he's the best big in this draft, like better than James Wiseman. And if you want to talk about the Pistons when they get to seven, Ed Stefanski, assuming this ideology still holds true, which I would assume it probably does, at least loosely, we're drafting the best available player, regardless of position. If it's not a point guard, it's not going to be a point guard. If Okongwu and Killian Hayes are there at seven, is it? In, I think it's entirely within the realm of possibility to say that Okongawu might be the better player. And because of the way that the league is going in terms of size and necessity to guard the rim, which is sort of this weird, we find ourselves in this weird position where it's like everybody's taking all these three-pointers. But at the same time, there's all these bigs that if you can't defend them, they're just going to get buckets at the rim. But it's these same big men that can also hit from the perimeter. So you need to have the perfect blend of like we have – I'm going to use the Bucks as a great example because I, 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 genuinely, I genuinely believe it. Like Wesley Matthews is a great perimeter defender. Chris Middleton, great perimeter defender. Brooke Lopez and Giannis, two of the best rim protectors in the league. They have a great balance. Now, admittedly, obviously as it happened with Milwaukee this season, anytime they lost, it was because of how poorly they were able to defend the three-point line. But the point remains the same. Even with Miami, like Bam is a great rim protector. The reason their 2-3 zone is so effective is because when you put Jay Crowder and Jimmy Butler uh, on the elbows, their length, they're so good at ball denials. Teams can't get entry passes. So you need to have this perfect blend. And the Pistons are going to have to start somewhere. Because right now, Christian Wood is just like a so-so rim protector. He got better in the post as the season went on, and he was able to play more, like 100%. He's, he's better now than he was a year ago, but he's still not great. Thon is, you know, Blake is, we'll see. Harry Giles, assuming he comes to Detroit, uh, we'll see. Which is and, the, and it creates this domino effect where if you draft Okongawu, are, and you obviously re-sign Christian Wood. Are you still looking at Harry Giles? And I don't even know if they still are. I don't know. Or, I'm sorry, if they ever were in the first place, if he's on their radar, I would hope that, that he is. I I just, you know what I mean? Like, it, it really, their draft pick is going to be really telling in where the direction of this team is. Because if it's like Killian Hayes, okay, well, Fred Van Vliet's probably not a thing anymore. And maybe this is a really, this is probably an article idea. If there are any writers out there, don't steal this. If it's Killian Hayes, Fred Van Vliet's out the window. I don't even think he's in the window right now. I don't think he's in their scope. If it's Okongawu, um, I don't think it's Harry Giles, which both could still happen, but I think you guys get what I'm saying. And I know I mentioned a little bit ago, I mentioned something about Andre Drummond and him being, like he's not all of a sudden going to have a place in the league. Let me very quickly go into a little bit what I meant about that. So as teams go from like, traditional to small to now a lot bigger, but still sometimes closing small. It's this weird thing that we find ourselves in. I, I've i always kind of been under the impression as somebody who would 
religiously defend what Daryl Morey did in Houston, one of the things I always used to say was that rebounds are not valueless, but they're as close to the word as you could possibly get. I, I didn't really think that they held as much power in today's league as people think that they did. And and that's and Andre Drummond was a great example of that. He can give you 20 and 20, but the Pistons lost by 15. And his 20 points, I'm sorry, his 20 rebounds, like eight of them were from his own misses. You know what I mean? So there just was never much, uh, what's the, gravity, I suppose, inside of them. So I, I wanted to do a little bit, because I knew this a little bit off the top of my head. And I wanted to say, how meaningless are rebounds? Because they, they obviously hold some, uh, some impact, of course. But now you look at, like, what are you shooting from the line relative to how many shots you're taking? How many three-pointers are you taking? Like, what's your percentage there? You know, things like that. In 2020, this season, the Lakers... So I'm going to be reading the last 10 years because I tried to think of when exactly this revolution that we're currently in started. And while I don't necessarily think it was 2010, um, I think it was a little bit later that we kind of started to see this. For all intents and purposes, let's just do the last decade just because it's going to be fun. And I'm, gonna, I'm about to throw a lot of numbers at you. I'm going to do it a little bit slow because I, I hate when people read numbers to me. I don't know if anybody else is the same. So bear with me. I apologize if this is annoying. The champions this year, the Lakers. They were ninth in the regular season and seventh in the playoffs in rebounding. Raptors last year, obviously I'm doing every single champion. I don't know if I just said that. Raptors in 2019, 17th in the regular season, and they were tied for 12th in the playoffs. Go figure, they were tied with Detroit. 2018, the Warriors were 17th in the regular season in rebounding. But they were fourth in the playoffs. Warriors were also seventh in the regular season in 2017, second in the playoffs. Cavs in 2016, uh, they were ninth and they were eighth. 2015 Warriors, sixth and sixth. 2014 Spurs, twelfth and seventh. Now this, these next two, I mean, man. The 2013 Miami Heat, second year of the back-to-back, they were 30th in the regular season and 14th in the playoffs. 21st and 11th in 2012. The Mavs in 2011 were 14th and 12th. And that was the year, like, Minnesota was just killing everybody in rebounds. Like, it didn't look, I think they only led by, like, .1 in the league. But that was, that's the year that Kevin Love is putting up, like, 30 and 30. In a, like, I think he only did it once. But Kevin Love is just killing everybody. Pretty sure it was that year. And then in 2010, the Lakers' last championship, they were second and third. So I'm, I'm looking at this like, okay, so some teams, like that last Lakers team, when they're second and third, I think you kind of start to see where it just starts to shift a little bit. I think the exception with the Lakers this year was obviously their size. They went and got a bunch of really good rebounders. Um, the Raptors last year... I mean, again, they were 17th and 12th. Like nobody, they did. They weren't a great rebounding team. I look at the Cavs in 2016. I think they're a fun exception because I I don't have much there. Like Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love, LeBron, and then outside of that, Kyrie wasn't really going and getting boards. Um, 
and then even in the Warriors, like with the Warriors, whenever they were good at rebounding, it's because they have really good rebounding guards too, right? Like in 2015, they have Bogut and they have Draymond, and obviously they have Clay. Did they have Festus Azili that year? Did they? I don't think David Lee was there anymore. I'm pretty sure David West was there. Was he there in 2015? I don't remember. I think even Jermaine O'Neal was on that team. I know he didn't play, but I'm pretty sure Jermaine O'Neal was on that team. Maybe that was 2014. It doesn't matter. So do you get what I'm saying? It's like, even if these teams were good rebounding like teams, they didn't. it wasn't explicitly because of their big men. Like, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry in, I think, 2017, it was either 2017 or 2018, almost out-rebounded Tristan Thompson in the finals. Actually, it had to have been 2017 because in 2018 it was a sweep. So in 2017, Tristan Thompson, uh, through four games, because it went five, through four games was being out-rebounded by Steph Curry, who's like kind of a sneaky good rebounder. He's not great, but he's like sneaky good. Like if Steph has like eight boards along with his 12 assists and 35 points, you're like, yeah, it's not, like, yeah. he's not always going to give you that. Sometimes he'll give you one or two, but sometimes he's kind of sneaky good. On those long rebounds, he's not like, you know, in the trenches. So it just never really moved the needle for me. Like, I love a guard who can rebound, but if my team is like 15th in the league, I'm not really losing any sleep over it. And the other interesting thing to me was how many of these teams that were like kind of subpar or not even subpar, like period, how many of them were better in the postseason? How many of them were better at rebounding in the postseason than they were in the regular season? Because obviously these are all the champions. The Lakers were better. The Raptors were better. Warriors were better in 18 and 17. Cavs were better. Like, none of these teams, I'm just looking at right now, I'm not going to go through every single one of them. They were all better or the exact same except for the Lakers in 2010 who were second and third. Again, I said that. Um, so they got a little teeny bit worse, like a like one one rebound worse. So I guess when it comes down to it, it doesn't hurt to be a pretty good rebounding team. And I feel like I'm kind of talking in circles here. feels like I'm kind of just saying the same few things over and over again. I hope this is, even if I'm not making a point, even if there's no point to what I'm saying, I hope that this is resonating somehow with you guys. Because this has just kind of been in my head and I, I just needed to get it out there. That I think the league is going in a really interesting spot. Where I saw a few people make this point. I'm not going to claim it as my own. Like six six to eight months ago, even a year ago, we're already talking about mainly because of the Rockets, but especially when the Clint Capella trade kind of started to happen to Atlanta, we're like, centers don't matter anymore. They don't. They uh, True centers, at least. Because, like, Carl Anthony Towns is not a true center. That dude's a seven-foot Steph Curry. Anthony Davis is, a, you know what I mean? I know people, it, how you want to classify him is up to you, but for all intents and purposes, you can call him a center and get away with it. But he's a power forward. Like, now all of a sudden we're looking at it like, well, wait, are they kind of back? Are they back a little bit? Like, a guy like Dwight Powell is a pretty good example. Like, nowhere near elite. That's not what I'm saying. But a guy who's a pretty decent defender and can kind of pick and pop. A little bit, right? Like, if you need him to shoot a three, if he's open, he'll take it, and he might make it, but it's not his thing. There are these guys who are, like, super niche, like Dwight Powell. I don't even know if he's niche. Maybe Andre's the one that's niche. I don't know, man. I feel like I'm on the brink of making a point. I'm right there. I can feel it coming out, and I cannot figure out what it is. 
But ladies and gentlemen, I guess I'll wrap it up there. I have no idea what I'm going to title this episode. <laughs> if you made it this far genuinely from the bottom of my heart, thank you very, very much. Um, if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate five stars and subscribe. If you're not following me on Twitter, which I'd be surprised if you're listening to this and you're not, I will leave that in the description of this episode. Thank you very much for listening, you guys. I will catch you all in the next one.